Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to Condensed Histories, the podcast that takes pop culture and reveals the real history behind it. I'm your host, Jem Daduchu, and what we're talking about this time round is The Matrix. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Which means, yes, of course, we're going to have to talk about philosophy from two and a half thousand years ago, naturally. We're also going to be talking quite a bit about some philosophy from about 400 years ago, and we're also going to be talking about the movie business industry. So, yes, you may be wondering, why are you doing it now? There was that Matrix movie that came out round about Christmas 2021. We're now quite a long way away from that. Didn't do particularly well at the box. Why? Why, Jim? Because I think it's really interesting to show that series of movies compared to where we are in the modern world of cinema. Also, accidentally, you had two movies dealing with the nostalgia of 20-year-old films. You had Spider-Man No Way Home, and you had Matrix Resurrections. They both decided to do it rather differently. So you're Spider-Man too. Why don't you just say that? I generally don't go around advertising it. Kind of defeats the whole anonymous superhero thing. And one of them did a lot better at the box office and widely got better reviews, too. So this is a really interesting conversation. Also a chance for you to relive a little bit about that, that nostalgia trip of the first Matrix. And it is also sort of linked in with this various bits of history, including cinema history from China as well. So it's really interesting. And what I'm going to ask you to do is, first of all, if you can, if you're old enough to do so, cast your mind back to the summer of 1999, an entire different millennia. And there was one red hot sci-fi movie that year that everybody wanted to go out and see and that movie was of course star wars episode one phantom menace because you are now living in a world which knows what star wars episode one phantom menace is and how disappointing it is oh but it is but to everybody else in that time before we got to see it it's 16 years since the last star wars movie 
And this time around, we're going back. We're going to see how Darth Vader gets to become Darth Vader. We didn't know he'd be an annoying child doing pod racing. I'm a pilot, you know, and someday I'm going to fly away from this place. But it was super, super hot. And there was this profound sense of disappointment after it came out. Not immediately. I think everybody, me included, tried to kid themselves. <laughs> tried to make out... It, it's not as bad as we thought. The Phantom Menace was 18 months ago, Tim. I know, Bilbo. Okay, just... It still hurts. No, that kid wanted a Jar Jar doll. Kids like Jar Jar. Why? To be fair, a friend of mine, he lived in America at that time. And... The film came out about a week before in America than in the UK. So we were speaking just a couple of days after he saw it and a couple of days before I got to see it. And I said to him, no, no spoilers, please, for the love of God. It's been 16 years. Don't tell me anything that I don't want to know. I said, but just, is it a good film? And his brief review from all those years ago still holds up. He said, the highs are just as high and exciting as anything you've seen in any other Star Wars movie. It's just there are too many lows, too many pauses of conversations. And yeah, that's exactly it. Most people, most Star Wars fans turn around and say, do you know what? The three-way Darth Maul lightsaber fight with his double-ended lightsaber? Probably the best lightsaber fight out of any Star Wars movie. The pod race is really exciting as well. At the end, you've got the mixture of the lightsaber fight, the attack on the, on the palace. You've got the spaceship battle going on up, up in space. Those are three really exciting things all happening at the same time. But you know what kids really love? They love trade negotiations and embargoes. And Jar Jar Binks was meant to be a huge hit with the kids. And when my kids were really little, they found him hilarious. Because if you're six years old, he is quite funny. It's just if you grew up with the original Star Wars trilogy, you're now in your 20s, maybe your 30s, and he's annoying. <laughs> what about the Ewoks? Hey? They were rubbish. You don't complain about them. So that was 1999. Everybody wanted that film to be great. In the meantime, there was this weird sci-fi film by the Wachowskis, who people only knew that they'd done Bound previously, a very low-budget lesbian crime thriller, which I happened to have seen beforehand and was really impressed by. It's a really good little film. Apparently, the Wachowskis went to Warner Brothers and said, we want to do this big sci-fi film called The Matrix. And they said, no, we're not going to give you a ton of money to do a film and you're completely unproven. Do something in a small, tight budget, studio-based, and we'll see how it goes. So Bound is not a big film. Bound was not a huge hit, but Bound was absolutely proved there artistic flair, their know-how, okay? And then they got to make The Matrix, and then everybody went to see it and go, ooh, wow. I always remember Empire Magazine, film magazine, still available today, although I much prefer, they do a podcast, I find their editor staggeringly smug, and just not my sense of humour at all, and he seems to demand that everybody laughs at his lame jokes. Good magazine, terrible podcast. The Total Film, their direct competitor, Good magazine, but good podcast. You know, they got different opinions, not trying to be desperately funny. They review the films open and honestly. That's something else that Empire, I got bored with Empire in the mid-1990s when I realized that if there was a film coming out, the, the absolute hammer blow for me was Hannibal, the sequel to Silence of the Lambs. 
they had the front cover and the back cover clearly they were given a lot of money for the promotion and you know they were talking about it and there's the making of in it and so you found out a lot about Hannibal but the review came out the following month and it turned out it was three stars not five stars and it's just sort of like there's too much financial consideration sorry about that but I look still look at their website from time to time still think that their reviews are pretty similar to my tastes and I always remember they said the true phantom menace from 1999 was the matrix and that's a pretty good summary but what's interesting is that there can be no doubt that the phantom menace was disappointing and the first matrix my children have only seen the first matrix i'm aware that there are two sequels before the one that came out at the end of 2021 but the first movie is an absolute perfect film it's got a little sense of humor to it it's got lots of action it is thoughtful you see stuff that you've never seen before it's one of those films like the early tarantino movies reservoir dogs pulp fiction where it rewrote the rules it sort of went off in like a parallel direction to what cinema had been doing and everybody else started copying it bullet time in the first matrix movie makes complete sense they're in a computer simulation so it can all be wooshy and weird it doesn't make much sense if you're just in an average action film in the real world. Why is everything slowed down so you get this cool effect where you go round the individual in freeze frame? You're just copying The Matrix and probably not doing it as well as The Matrix. So the first film is a perfect film. It's one of the greatest sci-fi movies ever. It's one of the most intelligent sci-fi movies ever. You're here because you know something. What you know you can't explain, but you feel it. In Every possible way it ticks the boxes. It's one of these things where Keanu Reeves, he's not the world's greatest actor, but my goodness, he tries hard. And actually, it's almost like every five, six years, he comes up with a film that really fits him, suits him. He could be dumb and silly in something like Bill and Ted, but action chops have been there for quite a considerable amount of time. Point Break is a slice of dumb fun. But it's a fun action movie, no doubt about that. Then you get Speed, which is maybe just as dumb, but is an even slicker, more exciting action movie. Then you've got The Matrix. These are three huge cornerstone action films in the 1990s, which Keanu Reeves got a lot of plaudits for and made quite a lot of money from it as well. But then he does all these other movies. There was this romantic film where he's a World War II veteran coming back home falls in love with this woman who's on a vineyard. I, I went with a female friend of mine and I was very restless through this film. It was pretty much by the numbers romance. <laughs> One bit that made me laugh hilariously is a bell goes off. It's like, like a fire alarm, but it was well, somebody actually ringing a bell, but you know, something dramatic's happening in this vineyard. And you think, oh my God, is it all about to burn down? No, the frost is coming and we must save the crop of grapes so what do they do they put out all these heaters and waft hot air around wearing these sort of fairy wings i i know this is visual and i'm trying to explain it on a podcast but it is hilariously bad i i don't know much about farming and agriculture or viticulture if we're talking about wine I know that's not a thing. They wanted to show something beautiful and slightly romantic in the film. It's ludicrous, it's rubbish, and it's an example of, and there are many of them, Keanu Reeves has made more bad films than he's made good films. But, you know, then after something like a horrifically expensive disaster like the 47 Ronin 
don't know anything about that one, just have a little look behind the scenes on that one. Colossal flop. Based on some real history, but it's hugely fantastical. But anyway, but then he starts doing the John Wick movies, and it's like, wow, yeah, I mean, you know, the guy's in his 50s now, but he, like, he's completely believable as an assassin. Great, great action films. Again, just don't ask him to do Shakespeare. Although I know he has actually done some Shakespeare. I cannot hide what I am. I must be sad when I have cause and smile at no man's jests. Or the Buddha of Suburbia, I think, or Little Buddha. One of those two now. He's literally played Siddhartha, the Buddha. Just, yeah, okay. He does crazy stuff like that. But actually, the great thing about The Matrix is he had to look pretty and he had to look confused. And nobody quite looks confused like Keanu Reeves. It fits perfectly. So when I heard that there were some sequels coming out in 2003, it's like, oh, wow. I cannot wait to see. Now, meanwhile, we'd started to get sequels of the Star Wars movies. And what's interesting is, fast forwarding to the fourth Matrix movie, there's been a lot of Star Wars movies. And actually, if you just stack up, I know there's more of them, but there are some five-star Star Wars movies, just like the first Matrix is five-star. But even the average Star Wars movies are better than the Matrix sequels. Really, when you watch the end of the first Matrix, when, spoiler, Keanu, Neo, Mr. Anderson flies off, we've had the hero's journey. We've had him sort of like overcome everything. There isn't really a need to go back to the Matrix, but it made so much money and people were so interested in it. The Wachowskis went, okay, let's keep going. And they got very complicated with it. For the people who are complaining that the fourth movie isn't giving them what they wanted, you need to go back to the second and third movies because they're not giving you a straight rerun of the first movie. And this is the problem with any kind of sequel. If you give them too much of what they really want, i.e. more of the same, you're going to be criticized for being artistically bankrupt. However, if you go too far away from what everybody liked in the first place, well, it's not really what I'm paying to see. And so I always remember at the end of the second Matrix movie, reloaded, then there is this endless conversation between Neo and the architect. It goes on and on. And yes, you can have a kind of bit of exposition. There's quite a lot of exposition in the first movie, but they make it interesting. Do not try and bend the spoon. That's impossible. Instead, only try to realize the truth. What truth? There is no spoon. But this is not a climax. We were all aware that there was going to be a three coming out just months later. And so, you know, it could end on a kind of cliffhanger. But nobody's hanging from a cliff. This is sitting at a cafe next to the side of the cliff, occasionally glancing at the cliff, but largely having a latte. It was boring. But I remember defending it, being so blown away by the first one. And there are some good action scenes in the second one. But I said to them, look, they've clearly got a plan and it's all going to pay off in the third movie. And I was wrong, because that's not what happened with the third movie, okay? So, <laughs> so the third movie is also a complete mess, and we spend quite a lot of time in Zion in the real world, and the sort of mech suits fighting all the Sentinels is sort of cool, but it's not really what I want to see in a Matrix movie. And, you know, there are all these sort of Christ allegories and so on and so forth. So yeah, it didn't really work. And then we come to the Matrix of today question mark and in essence Lana Wachowski decided to come back and basically the two Wachowskis one of them has turned around and said I'm very tired of all this and I don't want to want to do it anymore both their parents had died recently 
But with Lana, she had such a love for, for Neo and Trinity that, if you like, going back to those characters that have been so good for them all those years ago, you can see why people want to sort of go back to it. But at the same time, didn't want to do a rinse and repeat version of Matrix, which, to be fair, they already hadn't done. And so what they decided to do is get really meta. I'll be the judge when we get too meta. Now I'm going to actually go into what meta truly means in the history bit of it. But first of all, by then having Neo, which by the way, spoiler for a film that's now 18, 19 years old at the end of the original trilogy, Neo dies, okay? It's the Christ analogy thing. He dies, sacrifices himself so that everybody else can live. Very clever, kind of appropriate actually a bit of an unsatisfying ending. So why is he back again? And so on and so forth. And really, the first half of the film is almost like them trying to show how much they didn't want to do this film. I mean, literally, there's conversations about Warner Brothers in it. And Neo, Mr. Anderson, is in charge of computer programs, basically had released three games called literally the Matrix 1, 2, and 3, Matrix Trilogy, and now Warner Brothers Games wants him to make a fourth one many years later, and he doesn't want to, and they're saying, well, we're going to make it with or without you, which is clearly what was happening behind the scenes about a fourth Matrix film. We can make it with or without you, Wachowskis. Your choice. You're going to hand your babies over to us. We own the rights kind of thing. Warner Brothers has decided to make a sequel to the trilogy. What? They inform me they're going to do it with or without us. Now, you might turn around and say that's really clever and it's very honest, but I'm also going to turn around and say that's kind of what was happening in Spider-Man as well. To go back to Spider-Man No Way Home, which came out within weeks of each other, and that and The Matrix, the thing is, to properly understand the Spider-Man movie, you needed to have watched not just seven other Spider-Man movies stretching back to 2002, but also it's riffing on two different TV shows, Daredevil and Hawkeye. So you have to watch, I'm going to guess here, because it gets harder with the TV shows, maybe 30 hours of story to really get the most juice out of it. To be fair, to just briefly have Daredevil in it, maybe you could cut off 25 hours of time and just know that the lawyer at the beginning is Daredevil in a Netflix TV series, and that, that'll save you considerable amount of times. But even so, you know, seven other Spider-Man movies, of varying quality, it is worth pointing out, but it's fan service. But it's not fan service in completely lazy, let's do it all the way you would expect us to. It's fan service in a way that made everybody, it actually made some of those earlier movies better because they've now, we now know what happens next. Whereas with the original Matrix trilogy, Matrix 2 and 3 are the very definition of bad sequels in the sense that they tarnish the original. You will like the original Matrix a little less if you watch 2 and 3 because you realize kind of how they just got it right the first time and after that there. It's all jazz, baby, but not in a good way. And the other thing is, of course, the, the first Spider-Man movie came out in 2002, which is a couple of years after the first Matrix movie. So from the time of the first Matrix to the release of the fourth Matrix, that's all of Spider-Man history plus Daredevil and Hawkeye and Disney buying Marvel and everything else in there. That is a huge amount of film history going on in there. And yet they got it right. Whereas with the Matrix, they just didn't know what to do. So we go back to the new Matrix film 
and it doesn't give you what you want. Whereas there are, like I say, the Spider-Man movies improve on the originals because you've got different writers coming up with different ideas and resolving some of the plot holes, but also combining all this nostalgia in a positive way. The reality is that with the new Matrix movie, to have Neo never pick up a gun once. And also, we know that Keanu Reeves can still do the Kung Fu because he's been doing it in John Wick. But no, at no point does he pick up a gun. Most of the time he's holding out his hands to push things to one side or another or to create sort of like barriers and shields. Okay, that's fine. Maybe you want to do something different. But the, the difference is, if the reviews are worse than Spider-Man and the box office is worse than Spider-Man, people don't think it's as good a movie and people didn't go to see it, then I don't care how very cleverly meta you are describing what's gone on and why you're doing this film in the film. I know you said the story was over for you, but that's the thing about stories. They never really end, do they? We're still telling the same stories we've always told, just with different names, different faces. It all comes out as I don't care. You could argue this should have never been made in the first place, but it was. So maybe you should give it your best shot, like Spider-Man, or kind of be grumpy about it in your own film, like The Matrix Resurrections. So yeah, it's, it's deeply unsatisfying. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Ultimately, 
But, as I said, the original, and it does continue later on. For example, there is a meeting of the, the great and the good in Zion in some of the Matrix sequels, and each one of those people is an actual philosophy professor from different universities. The amount of philosophy professors that really enjoyed the first Matrix and started using it as a way to explain some of the basic building blocks of philosophy in their courses. Finally, they could do it without having people in wigs or people from ancient China and things like that. Now they got people in leather jackets with machine guns who can do a bit of philosophy and also look cool as they jump in slow motion in front of an explosion. They, they were very thankful for it. And to be fair, you get a bunch of philosophy professors in it. You're going to look more intelligent, you know, through association. So yes, there, there's always been this clever streak there, and you can absolutely argue that it's here in the fourth one too. But let's now talk about meta. It's used all the time. Oh, this is so meta. Spider-Man was really meta. The Matrix Resurrections is really meta. Meta is Greek, and basically it means after or beyond. And what it originally comes from is metaphysics, because they used to have these literal sort of scrolls, I want to say scrolls, writings, etc., because books were invented after ancient Greece. And the thing about meta is, it, or they, they, first of all, they started off with the physical science, the, the physical information, their version of astronomy and chemistry and so on and so forth. And then they went on to, so if you like, science describes the physical world. Whereas philosophy starts talking about motivations and the non-physical world, you know, why not what? And so it came after the physics. So that's why it's called metaphysics. It's after the physics. Got it? Very clever. Except now we, we're hanging too much meaning on that word meta. Oh, it's so meta. Well, it means just after, doesn't it? And obviously it's part of metaphorical as well. So this, this, it's one of these classic things where ancient Greece, building blocks of other languages, so on and so forth. But it's built this other meaning. And just because something is meta, in other words, clever, referencing itself, I'm talking about sort of like movies and TV shows here, something like Deadpool, classic example, where they break the fourth wall. That term is, by the way, from, from theatre, because most of the time you have actors talking to each other on stage as if the audience isn't there. And generally, if you have a set, it's got three walls, the back and sides, because you want to see what's going on there. It doesn't have that other side wall because it would be in a box and you couldn't see what's going on. But occasionally you might have a, an actor turning to the audience, you know, as if realizing the audience is there and telling the audience something. You so see, you can say why that's almost literally breaking the fourth wall. Deadpool's all over the place with that stuff. And yeah, in that case, it's pretty much always being done for joke reasons. But just because you're talking about your own movie and basically how it isn't quite as good or necessary as it should be doesn't give it a get out of jail free card. That would be clever if it was one or two comments. Pretty much the whole first half of this movie is that. And while there is a little bit of action in it, and obviously they clearly didn't want to do action in it, it's about a love story between Neo and Trinity and how together they are the one, which makes her name even more problematic. But anyway, I mean, yes, that works. And, and it is a lovely character study of those two people, but I'm not sure anybody wanted to see two middle-aged people slowly falling in love and remembering each other. That's not what The Matrix is about. It would be 
like a Spider-Man movie where the entire movie is only Peter Parker working out how to be Spider-Man. No villain, no sort of interaction with Aunt May. It's just him constantly in alleyways learning how to climb walls. Yeah, that's a fun montage. It's part of the character arc, but it's not the only thing that can happen in the story. And that's the problem with The Matrix. So, as I've just said, metaphysics going beyond the actual physics bit. Natural philosophy was like the medieval renaissance term for what we would now call science. And really, it's only when we get into the 1600s that we start getting this separation of science and philosophy and so on and so forth. Back to that in a moment. Look, there are huge variations, but there's a lot of Asian, Chinese in particular, philosophy, and a lot of that philosophy is basically about society. And that's not to say that the West didn't talk about society, particularly ancient Greeks, and that's not to say that the Chinese philosophers never talked about the individual. But if you look at how it's all evolved, you've got things like Shintoism and Taoism, which is philosophy, but it's aimed at societal structure. Whereas if you go into the West and you've got someone like Socrates or Kant or whoever, it's very much about the individual and their interpretation of reality. So yes, of course, there's gonna be exceptions on both sides. This is not going to be a definitive conversation about philosophy. There are huge fat books about that. But what I find interesting is that there is this kind of subtle differentiation. But when you get to the 1600s, we're into the era known as the Age of Enlightenment. So you got the Renaissance, you got the Middle Ages, not quite as clear cut the gaps between the two of those. But definitely in the 1600s, we're starting to get the beginnings of scientific theory and observation. This is the time when you get things like the Royal Society being founded in Britain. This is the time in the early 1600s where you have this Frenchman called René Descartes. And René Descartes is a classic, well, first of all, he's a polymath. Almost all these philosophers from before, let's say the 19th century, they were polymaths. What do I mean by that? They were good at multiple things. Descartes was a soldier. He was very good at geometry. He was a mathematician, definitely, and he was a philosopher. He's probably best known today as a philosopher, but to say he was only a philosopher is very much doing him down. Whereas now today, professors of philosophy, that's all they do. I teach Hegelian philosophy, Bruce here teaches Aristotelian philosophy, and Bruce here is in charge of the sheep dip. So, yeah, what I find interesting is it's in the 1600s, the beginning of the 1600s is basically the last time any human being could know everything. I love this idea because there was limited amounts of scientific understanding, limited amounts of philosophy, limited amounts of historical texts and languages. So in theory, in the year 1600, maybe you wouldn't actually know, let's say, Mongolian or Japanese, but you could know the history of Europe. This is just about enough to fit in your head. Not in, obviously in the detail we know today, but in terms of what would be knowable then. Same thing with science and philosophy and so on and so forth. So a real clever clogs with lots of books in 1600 could just about know everything. If they spent their whole life reading everything from the Bible to Socrates to natural philosophy and so on and so forth. However, it's in the 1600s where things start breaking up. So, as I just said, Natural philosophy is no longer considered philosophy, it's now considered a science. And that further breaks down into biology and chemistry and physics. And indeed, if you go to a university today, even if you go to you know, the, the scientific laboratories, 
people are doing very, very different things. A biochemist is very, very smart, but they won't have the knowledge and understanding of somebody doing astronomy, specializing in gravitational lensing, which I have been told is a thing. But flip side is the person who's an expert on gravitational lensing couldn't do all the spike protein stuff that the biochemist is doing. We have become as a society more and more specialized, which means these polymaths are becoming less and less. It's not that human beings are dumber, but there's so much to learn in any industry or any area, be it electronic engineering, be it philosophy, be it whatever. So yeah, I find this really interesting that we've We've all sort of kind of diversified. But we've got with someone like Descartes, he is one of the people, I mean, the, the classic quote associated with him is, I think, therefore I am. And Rene Descartes was a drunken fart, I drink, therefore I am. And he had one philosophical treatise, which absolutely links to the Matrix, where he was talking about dreams. How can we be sure that we're not in a dream right now? It's a little bit like Inception. And so he was going through, if it's a very lifelike dream, would we be able to tell the difference between being in that lifelike dream in a sort of state of, of subconsciousness and submission to an actual reality? Other philosophers have pointed out, can we ever even experience reality? And before you start going, well, duh, yeah, of course we can. But our brain is encased in this big bone cage called our skull. That's us. We are our brains. Every inf piece of information that we're getting through to our brain is secondhand. The sensation of the sight you're seeing now, the voice of me, you know, is my voice the same to you as it is to me, as it is to my children? You, there's no way of knowing that. Is the color blue exactly the same for everybody? It's, it, it starts doing your noodling because, of course, basically that visual information is hitting your eyeballs. It's being turned into electrical uh, sense, sensory information and it's eventually going into the brain. So there are several different layers there. It isn't truly reality. There's, there's, it's gone through some filters and are we 100% sure that those filters are foolproof, basically? I love, love, love this idea. But with Descartes, when he was talking about this, are we in a dream stuff, he was worried about getting in trouble, basically, with the religious police, the, the Catholics and, you know, the Inquisition and all that good stuff. So with this idea of like, we could be in a dream and obviously this dream could therefore be by anybody, but let's say it's by God, in which case it's good and holy and just, but it could also be by the devil. We could be kidding ourselves all this time. We, we're actually trapped already by Satan. And he realized that that idea was clearly not going to go down well with the church. And so if you ever want to read some of his works on that particular one, right at the end, it's very long and eloquent and sophisticated. But then right at the end, there's clearly this bit of a rush job where in just like one or two pages, he basically goes, but it, it couldn't be the devil for the following reason. That's it. <laughs> and basically, it's, it's, it's almost, it's in brackets, please don't prosecute me, the Inquisition, please, 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 I'm a good boy. This idea of, is this reality? Is this a dream? Is this the real life? Is this just fantasy? Which is so beautifully done in The Matrix. And yes, it's, you could argue that one of the best riffs on The Matrix is Inception. But the thing is, that's not new. Descartes was doing it in the early 1600s. And, you know, obviously we build on this after this. There are all these sort of like famous, particularly France. France produces a lot of philosophers, not just Descartes. I mean, they, I think per head of population, they have more philosophers in their sort of history than any other country in the world. 
But, you know, there's some great Bertrand Russell in Britain or, you know, Kant or whoever, Germany, etc. There are lots of great philosophers and obviously you can go out into into Asia too, be it, you know, Confucius being the, the classic one or Lao Tzu, etc. There are lots of great philosophers out there and feel free to, to fill your boots on that one. One of the other podcasts I've done, one of the earliest ones I did on condensed histories in this new format was on The Good Life, uh, The Good Place, I should say. <laughs> the Good Life is a comedy from the 1970s in Britain. The Good Place is a comedy about being in heaven, basically. And there is a philosopher in that. And he talks about lots of different philosophers, modern philosophers, and, you know, some of the older ones too. And of course, he's just an actor, and the writers don't necessarily have degrees in philosophy. So they were reading all the time all these sort of like latest books on like, you know, concepts of good, concepts of action and determinism and all these other things. If you like, philosophy gets a bad rap because there's the classic thing of like, if a tree falls in a forest and nobody's there to hear it, does it make a sound? Which makes philosophy sound completely pointless. But the, the point of that conversation is what do you mean by sound? Of course, as it falls, there'll be shock waves of compressed air going across through the area. But that's just noise. Does it become like intelligible if there's an animal or a, a human around to hear it and process the fact that a tree has fallen? Otherwise, it's kind of meaningless at that point. So yeah, we need philosophers in our lives. And what's interesting is The Matrix is one of the few occasions where you get intelligent philosophy in the middle of a gun battle with some really cool music playing as well. Most studies about philosophy are very thoughtful, very sort of still, and quite frankly, dull. Worthy, but dull. And a lot of the books can be too. So we've absolutely got to give The Matrix credit where credit's due, which would be in this element. And so it's wonderful that The Matrix is picking up ideas that are centuries and sometimes thousands of years old, yet at the same time is reinventing cinema, not by completely creating loads and loads of new things by, you know, bullet time wasn't actually the first time that you ever saw it in that movie. It was in a Gap advert, I think a year or two earlier. But the other thing is you've got the excellent choreography. Nowadays with John Wick, it's all about brutalism. But at that time, it was about the sort of like the hyper real, the impossible spins and kicks and sort of leaps into the air. That's called wuxia. And that's been around for years in Chinese and Hong Kong cinema. Now, Jackie Chan is one of the masters of martial arts, and he's specifically, he's actually done a movie on Jackie Chan and My Stunts, I think it's called, and he points out that just pointing a sword in a direction and flying off isn't very satisfying, so he likes to sort of clamber up buildings and things like that. And absolutely, that's that kind of realism that works so well, and he's obviously got a wonderful sense of humour to it. But when you see this sort of beautiful choreography, where it's more like a dance than it is actually a fight. It can sometimes get a little bit too much. I would say Hero, which is one of the most beautiful films ever, which is very biased, by the way. It's, it's basically, it's, it's based loosely on a true story about an assassination attempt of the first Chinese emperor with a weaponized loot. That really happened. But in the end, the hero, which has no name, because he's a hero, he decides not to carry out the assassination because the first emperor of China says China needs to be led by a strong ruler and if you kill me, we'll fall into anarchy. And it's clearly an analogy for the Communist Party of China saying that's why we're in charge, because if not, we'd be in anarchy. And so, yes, follow us. So it's a little bit unsavory with its politics, but it is beautiful. And the wuxia 
fight scenes are amazing, but there may be one or two too many in the film. But if you if you just want to check it out, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon's the other classic one that most people know about. If you don't really know what I'm talking about, watch those two films. Certainly your eyeballs will be entertained. And they are sort of absolute classic, classic movies, but there are so many of them. And sort of like suddenly doing it a bit dirty and grimy in a, in a metro train station kind of thing, while there's also a gun battle going on, that really had never been done. Most of the time it is in the sort of classical romantic, quite often like the Three Kingdoms period in China. But here they decided to sort of switch it up and put it into something that could in theory fit into something like a Die Hard or Lethal Weapon movie, but was so, so much more evolved than that. So that's why I love The Matrix. And I also love Inception. And I also love Spider-Man Far From Home. Well, no, sorry, No Way Home. Well, all of the Spider-Man things. But uh, yeah, Ma Matrix Resurrections, no. No, you didn't give what people wanted and what you replaced it with was just basically almost like whining. And nobody wants to be whined at. So yeah, there we go. As always, I'm Jem Daduchu. You can always catch me on Twitter at Jem Daduchu. You know, you can say hi, give me some ideas. Really hope you enjoyed this one. Again, if, you, if it's been a long time since you've seen The Matrix, or you've, heaven forbid, you've only seen the new one, that first film, again, is just a perfect classic movie. It's aged like a fine wine. Do absolutely check it out. Thanks very much. Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage of the French Open begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.